Welcome back to another episode of the Geek Roundtable. I am your host, Kenny, and joining me for today's roundtable are my good friends, Joe, Brian, Megan, and Tony. This is episode number 49. For today's roundtable topic, we're going to be discussing one of my all-time favorite fantasy movies, Willow. As always, I'm not going to say too much at the beginning. I'm just going to jump on in to the discussion. We had a lot of fun. We all love this movie. And it's just fun when you can hang out with people and discuss one of your favorites and uh, learn some things as well. So go ahead and sit back and we're going to take a listen to our roundtable on Willow. All right, guys, it's time for our roundtable. Today, we're going to be discussing Willow. And for my co-hosts, I have Brian. Howdy. Joe. No apprentice this year. (laughs) Megan. How are you now? And Tony. Aloha. Thank you guys for joining me uh, to discuss Willow, one of my, again, I know I say this a lot, one of my all-time favorite fans. This actually is Mm -hmm. probably (laughs) my top three fantasy movies. Sure. So, yeah. So, let's go ahead. I'm going to go over some, uh, just some basic information. The, it was rated PG. Uh, had a running time of two hours and six minutes. Back in the day, man, they made some really good long two-hour movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. These, you know, hour and 30-something minute movies. It was produced by MGM in association with Lucas Films and Imagine Films Entertainment. Filming started on April of 1987 and ended in October that same year. It was released on May 20th, 1988, directed by Ron Howard, story by George Lucas, screenplay by Bob Dolman. The movie was a moderate hit and had an opening weekend gross of 8,300,169 on 1,024 screens. At the end of its run domestically, it grossed $57.2 million. So for, you know, back in 88, 80, yeah, 88, that's pretty good. For, and that was just domestic. That wasn't worldwide. All right, I'm going to give a quick synopsis before we get started here. Uh, the, the evil queen Bavmorda wields black magic to conquer the land and enslave the people. She fears the birth of a child with a particular birthmark because the prophecies foretell that the child will bring about her downfall. Bavmorda imprisons all the expecting mothers and the child of the prophecy is born. Before Bavmorda has a chance to kill the baby girl, the midwife escapes with her. She sends the blessed baby downstream on a raft. The child washes up near a village inhabited by a race of dwarf-like people called Nelwens. Willow Uffgood, the farmer and amateur magician who finds the baby, is chosen by the town council to return the child to the world of the large people, or Daikinis. Against their better judgment, Willow and his friend Migosh entrust the baby to the first Daikini they meet, a renegade warrior named Madmardigan. On their way home, Willow and Migosh are attacked by a clan of brownies who have stolen the baby from Manmartigan. The brownie fairy queen of the forest, Shalindria, tells Willow that he has been chosen to protect the baby, whose name is Alora Dannon. Shalindria gives Willow a magic wand and directs him to ask the sorceress, Fenrizel, for help. Shalindria sends along two brownies as guides, Frangine and Rule. Willow's party bumps into Manmartigan, who helps them in a few close calls with Sorcia, Bavmorda's daughter. Willow and the rest of the group finally meet Rizel, only to find that the sorceress has been turned into a rodent by Bavmorda. 
Sorsha captures Willow and his associates. They start the long trek to Nakmir Castle, Babmorda's stronghold. Willow attempts to use magic to return Rizel to human form, but fails. Meanwhile, Madmardigan and the Brownies manage to escape, while Madmardigan, under the influence of the Brownies' love potion, becomes temporarily infatuated with Sorsha. Willow and the group escape from Sorsha's control and make a hasty retreat with stolen horses. The group eventually find the castle of Tirislin, where Selindria told them that they would find protection from Bavmorda. But the castle is under Bavmorda's spell. All of its inhabitants are frozen in ice. Manmardigan refuses to give up hope, prepares for Sorsha's attack, while Willow once again fails to transform Roselle into human form. Sorsha and her army arrives, but so does the army of Galadorn, led by Manmardigan's old friend Eric. During an ensuing battle, Sorsha falls in love with Manmardigan and changes sides. Nokmir's General Kale, however, captures Alora and takes her to Nokmir. Willow, Madmardigan, Sorsha, the Brownies, the sorceress Fenrizel, now in a shape of a goat, and what is left of Eric's army set up camp, preparing to storm Nokmir Castle to rescue Alora. Willow finally returns Rizel to her true form, and the sorceress puts a spell on the camp to protect them from Babvorda's magic. The battle at Nakmir begins the next day. Willow manages to save Alora at the last moment from Babmorda's murderous ritual, and Babmorda is destroyed, in part to her own magic. He leaves the baby in the carrying arms of Manmardigan and Sorsha. Willow returns happily to his village and his family with a gift from Roselle, a book of magic to study. Let's go ahead and discuss the cast here. We have Warwick Davis as Willow Ufgood. Everyone's favorite Val Kilmer as Madmardigan. Joanne Wally as Sorsha. Jean Marsh as Queen Bavmorda. She was so good. Patricia Hayes as Fenrizel. Billy Barty as High Aldwin. David Steenberg as Migosh. Maria Holvo as Sherlindria. Rick Overton as Frangine. And Kevin Pollack as Rule. There we go. This uh, movie was nominated for an Oscar in 89 for Best Sound Effects, Editing, and Best Visual Effects. It won a Saturn Award in 1990 for Best Costumes. It was also nominated for Best Fantasy Film, Best Supporting Actress for Gene Marsh, Best Performance by a Younger Actor for Warwick Davis, and Best Special Effects. It was nominated for a Hugo Award in 1990 for Best Dramatic Presentation. It was also nominated for a Young Artist Award in 1989 for Best Family Motion Picture, Drama, and Best Young Actor in Motion Picture, Drama for Warwick Davis. But not all of the awards were great. It also was nominated for a Razzie in 1989 for Worst Supporting Actor from Billy Barty and Worst Screenplay. I know. So appalled. Appalling. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's hogwash. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, I will, happy to say they were nominated, so they did not win. So that's Man. that's a good. Nobody puts tell me Gwildor. Nobody puts Gwildor in the corner. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna start with our first question. When did you guys see it? For me personally, I saw it in the movie theater. I was about eighteen in '88, so uh, I I do remember going to a well, we call them walk-in theaters because uh, there were drive-ins and walk-ins. Uh, so it's just uh, – do you remember – and I remember seeing this several times in the theater because I loved it so much when I saw it. And I do remember going back over and over and watching it. Mm. So how about you, Joe? 
I, when you when you said you went and saw this in a walk-in theater, all I could think of is just like a whole theater staffed by Christopher Walkins. Like, <laughs> can I take your ticket? You. Would you like a drink with your? No, so that, um, would, that would be fun. <laughs> that would be insane. <laughs> so uh, I uh, I didn't get to see this in the theater, and I wanted to. There was so much marketing going on with this movie. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't watch a, a Saturday morning cartoon without there being an ad for like go to Burger King now and get your Willow cup or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, I really want to see this movie, but a friend of my father's went to see this film and had nothing but bad things to say about it. Mm. He was like, this is the worst. It was so boring. It was so terrible. Don't even worry about it. And so because of this, my father was like, no, we're not going to waste money on this. It's a two hour long movie. We're not going to sit in the theater that long for a movie that you're probably not going to like. So I was really bummed out about this. Yeah. Finally saw it when it came out on home video and dug it, man. I almost wore out the tape that we had rented because I watched (laughs) this movie over and over again because there was just such a cool fantasy aspect of it. I was already at that young age, a big fan of like the Rankin Bass Hobbit Mm, and Lord of the Rings cartoons. Yeah. And this this had such a similar tie to, to those movies. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Brian? Just like you, Kenny. Walking in theater, same same generation. Fell in love with it. I I don't recall seeing it more than once though in the theater. Mm-hmm. But I know when it showed up on television and in VHS, I I loved it. Yeah. Perfect childhood fantasy. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Megan again, one of those Saturday mornings. I apparently left on my own. And it was just like, okay, sugary cereal and this really awesome movie that maybe looks kind of kind of fantasy-ish. I'm into it. And sure enough, I, I think I watched it a dozen times that summer. Yeah. Do you remember and how old you were? I think I was, I want to say 12. Okay. That's a I'm going to say 12, yeah. Yeah, that's a good age to see it. How about you, Tony? I saw this one in the theater. I was six years old. It was uh, an early movie. I was definitely taken to it. I'm not sure if my mom took me to it or if it was seeing it with a group of friends and and, and a friend's parent, but I definitely saw it in the movie theater, and then uh, subsequently it became a, a favorite to rent uh, as as the years went on. But yeah, uh, I, I saw it. I, I saw an original screening, and just it was it was excellent. I just remember just loving it as yeah. a six year old, just really really liking it a lot. Very cool. All right, well, I have quite a few behind the scenes and I think are interesting facts. So we're going to jump into those really quick and get a few of them done. So I think I have the first one here. Uh, George Lucas specifically wrote this film for Warwick Davis after meeting him on the set of Return of the Jedi, which has to be a huge compliment. Yeah. You know, that that's someone like George Lucas especially writes a movie just for your for the actor. Yeah. Um, so they must have really had a, a good bond on uh, Return of the Jedi. Tony, I think you have the next one here. Oh, yes. Uh, so, oh, this is funny. The large group of pigs outside the castle continuously tried mating, and thus buckets <laughs> of cold water were used to separate them. That's oh, my funny. God. Glorious. Oh, God. Yes. Pigs! You're all pigs! Pigs, yes! <laughs> yeah, that might have changed the rating of this movie. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Now, now I want to go back and like watch the background pigs oh, and God. see what's, what's happening. <laughs> Might change the soundtrack, too. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, yeah, so Joanne Wally accidentally stuck her sword in a stuntman's foot while she was trying to stick it into the ground at the oh, tavern. God. Oh, that's yeah. horrible. Oops. 
Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so that's not the only accident on the set. Uh, as Val Kilmer was getting out of his crow cage between takes, uh, the chain snapped and the cage came down on his foot, uh, it, resulting in the limp that's evident during the scene in which Mad Mardigan and Willow arrive on the uh, the shore just opposite Finn Raziel's island. Mm-hmm. Mm, yep. Writer George Lucas continued Willow's story in books rather than in uh-huh. a movie sequels. The three books are collectively known as The Chronicles of the Shadow War and share a writer's credit with Chris Claremont and Lucas. They are Shadow Moon, they came out in 95, Shadow Dawn in 96, and Shadow Star in 2000. And it took me forever to find these, and I actually found them. I haven't read them yet, oh. but I'm so looking forward to reading them. Because I know it's about uh, Laura Dan and Older. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, and, wow. and Willow protecting yeah. her, but he goes by a different name when you first meet him. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm really looking forward to, to reading these, just because I that love really that universe. So piqued my interest that Chris Claremont was one of the writers. Phenomenal yeah. writer. I didn't know yeah. he did that. Yep. Oh, yeah. 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 So you read them all, Joe? I've read I read Shadow Moon and read half of Shadow Dawn. Okay. Haven't read uh, any of Shadow Star. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely on my list. I have I have the three paperbacks. Like I said, it took some time to find them because they're not easily uh, available. Yeah. Uh, so, but I did manage to get all three because I didn't want to start one and you know yeah. and not be able to find the other two. So I waited and waited and I had like book one for two three years before I got book yeah. two, oh, wow. and then I finally got book three. So I'm going to start reading those. But yeah, definitely some. I, I'm so looking forward to it. And then the fact that Joe enjoyed them, it sounds like you enjoyed it. Shadow Moon is a little bit of a slow starter mm-hmm. uh, just because, and I think that's, you're trying to set up the story without relying on people seeing the movie, the movie. but it helps to have seen the movie. Yeah. Um, but like once you get past that, like it really moves at a good clip. Yeah. The only reason I didn't finish Shadow Dawn was because I became a dad. <laughs> <laughs> therein lies a big problem where and i yeah. think you know brian might be able to attest to this as well i don't know if the rest of you are parents but like you you tend to not finish things you start when you're a parent oh yeah you you start a lot yes. <laughs> don't finish much all right brian you have the next one here yeah so um the character man martigan played by val kilmer val kilmer ad-libbed much of his dialogue in this movie Interesting. yeah yeah. I wonder. Interesting. So the devil dogs were actually Rottweilers in rubber masks and suits. Hm. There we go. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. So the earlier drafts of the screenplay contained more background information on the characters Mad Mardigan and Sorsha. Uh, Mad Mardigan was originally a knight of the kingdom of Galadorn, uh, the kingdom that General Kale mentions having destroyed to Queen Bavmorda, and that the character Eric was the only real friend he had. But Mad Mardigan's recklessness got him in trouble, as did his love affair with an Eastern beauty that tainted the family name. Hmm. Mad Mardigan had a chance to regain his honor in battle, but he ruined the chance by deserting. This explains some of the bitter antagonism between Mad Mardigan and Eric at the crossroads there. Uh, Sorsha was originally the daughter of a king of Tirislein, who's a good man. He's, in fact, a regal old man seen at the end after the fall of Bavmorda, and Tirislein is restored and can briefly be seen in stone, uh, which is suggested that Sorsha had the capability of being good during the Battle of Tirislein between Bavmorda, Mad Mardigan, and the monster. Uh, Sorsha encountered her father, and he struggled through the stone to ask her for help, which prompted Sorsha to switch alliances from her evil mother 
to the good side. All of this was lost to final film, but does appear in the novelization. <laughs> which I was totally going to bring up because I've read this book a million times and I'm so glad you gave me this, uh, this tidbit. That's great. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I was going to say like, there are so many in this book. There's so many, like there's backstories to so many of these characters that right. really like, it makes the story so much more rich, but yeah, the, it, it causes Sorcerer to switch her alliances from evil to the good side. Uh, and that's in the book. It's also in the comic book miniseries from Marvel. Nice. Very cool. Now I'm going to have to get the book. I have the comic book miniseries and I read that, but yeah. I, have, I have not read the novelization of it. So definitely have to oh, check yeah. that out. I've had this since 1988. This is uh, <laughs> like my F you to my dad. Like, see, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, all right. Let's go with a question here. Let's, uh, favorite character and then why? Why are they your favorite? Uh, uh, Megan, why don't you start us off? Okay. So. 12-year-old Megan would say Mad Mortigan. Of course. Yes. <laughs> and that was the way things for a long time. But now I have to say Queen Bevy. Mm, I, yeah. I love her so much. She yeah. is so evil. <laughs> what a great role. She's wow. so good at it. Yeah. It's mm. such an amazing character. Yeah. Just yeah. so fun to watch her. Just genuinely. I, I never hated her as a kid either. I was just like, she's genuinely terrifying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she just obviously is just into the role as well. She yeah. sells oh, she, it. She eats that scenery. She just loves. Yeah. You could tell she's loving what she's doing. Yeah. And, so, and it comes across and it just makes you, like you say, it makes you dislike her, but you're not, you don't hate her. You're just, you don't. she's just evil. You know, she's it's the Hans Gruber effect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good at being bad. Yeah, I agree. How about you, Brian? I'm going to say Mad Morgan. Lovable scoundrel, great swordsman. And even though it wasn't in the movie and I just now learned that he was a knight of the other <laughs> kingdom, I swear that there, somehow I felt, you know, the movie conveyed that he had more to his story that wasn't portrayed oh, yeah. on the screen. Yes. And, and, and I think I was extremely intrigued by that. Um, I really did like Sorsha though. And I tell you from the beginning of that movie, I don't know. I, I don't know if I didn't like the casting because she seemed to be good throughout the whole movie to me, <laughs> even though she was on the side of evil, but I think she was the, you know, again, I, I love Mad Mardigan, but she was very well played too. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Joe? So kind of echoing what Megan said, I think 11 year old me loved Mad Mardigan. Like, I thought he was just so cool. He was basically Willow's Han Solo. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, you know, as I got older and kind of his his not so uh, casual racism became more apparent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, Maybe this is a yeah. character I shouldn't love quite so much, but he does have a great redemption story. Uh, I think Sorsha is my favorite character mm. in this movie. I think she's a really cool protagonist. And I I don't know. I think there's a world where this Willow story could have also been told where Sorsha was the Mad Mardigan character. And, mm. Oh, definitely. Know, yeah. Kind of being held prisoner in the cage, already kind of a knight of Bav Morva. I could have seen that. Yeah. 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 Uh, I like the arc she goes on. She has a very, uh, and, and you know, say what you want about Joanne Wally as an actress. Maybe she's not the strongest, but I think she played a good role here. I think all the hints of like her seeming like she's already a hero mm -hmm. kind of falls a little bit more on Ron Howard's direction. Mm. But man, I, I, I love the journey this character goes on. And especially when you, you compare that to what's in the book too. Yeah, I'm disappointed that they, they cut that scene with her and her father. Just that mm -hmm. little bit of information would have been really nice to know. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. 
But yeah. I've got to yeah. get this book. I know. I know. Yeah. I, wrote, I wrote it down on my post-it. So I have it. Like, I will not forget. I'm going to go to Amazon and see if I can find it. Tony, how about you? Oh, it's Burgle Cut. I'm kidding. It's not. No, I, you know, I, I think like everyone here, uh, when I first saw it, I was definitely very much into the swordplay aspect of the movie. And so uh, I definitely liked both Mad Mardigan and Eric. But uh, upon further review, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm an adult now. So I, I really liked... Uh, uh, just the um, the presence of General Kale. There's not mm. much to him, but just how mm. iconic that skull mask the is. Skull and mask, just how, yeah. And, yeah. And how how imposing he is and his presence on this. I mean, it's very Darth Vader. Let's, let's yeah. be honest here. It's very, very Darth Vader. But at the same time, just his voice, that deep, you know, I mean, and he's always, he, he's shouting out, get them, you know, and he's, <laughs> you know, but uh, I, I, uh, I, I really do enjoy General Kale. I nice. didn't realize it's the same actor that played the Nazi that Indiana Jones fights that gets cut up by the plane. Yeah. That's amazing. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. There's a fun fact. There we go. Yeah, I don't have that on my list. Well, he, he was in all three, <laughs> or he, he was cast in all th- or the first three uh, uh, Indiana Jones movies, right? He played two roles, I believe, in, in Raiders. He was the main and, guard uh, in Temple of Doom. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. him being. Yeah, I do remember seeing him again. In and the I think sequels. he may have gotten cut out of Last, mm. Last Crusade, or had a very, very brief appearance. But yeah, yeah. he's so good. Yeah. Another good relationship with George Lucas. It, it would seem. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, for me, I think uh, I really enjoyed Finn Rizal, mm. but I would say my ultimate favorite person would be Willow, mm. and I think just because I identify with him more, he was humble and kind, and you know the the. He, he's not your typical hero. And I, I'm very short. I'm 5'3". And so I was even shorter when I was a kid, you know. So I always – I was always made fun of and bullied because I was short. So I tend to identify – seeing that kind of character. That to me – I'm not obviously I'm not as short as, as Willow or as uh, Warwick Davis. But mm-hmm. I think I identified with him and I just, I just liked his personality. I liked that he was – he just – he was an unreluctant – I don't even know if he was not reluctant hero. He just – you know, he was meant for great things and he didn't believe in himself until he had to. And then he was able to do it. Yeah. Um, Finn Rizal is a close one. And of course, the queen. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot of favorite characters. It's hard to pick one. But, but yeah, Willow, I would say Willow. It's a well-crafted story. Yeah. They're, they're very rich characters. There's a lot yeah. to like here. And there's characters you can hate, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. and sure. they're uh, like I, and I think you mentioned his name earlier, the Nelwyn that was horrible to Willow. Yeah, Burgle Cut. Burgle Cut, yeah. Cut. Oh my gosh, he was just so horrible, you know. And you, but you enjoy hating him, you know. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the real villain of the story. Yes. yes. <laughs> so the, mean. Again, I'm gonna get your land off good. He's, he's, yeah, he's like just, the chancellor, right? He's a, the uh, yeah. emperor. I guess. He's, a, he's a he's a bully, and I just chancellor Burgle Cut. Yeah, a coward too. He's he's yeah. He's, uh, oh, definitely a coward. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, Bav Morda was just trying to keep from getting killed by a baby. Like, <laughs> yeah, but she like, was so wrong. She was killing babies. Uh, we don't I mean, know how many babies well, she killed she before this. Babies. I think she was looking for the one baby to kill. Oh, I guess you're right. You're right. She probably was. But she <laughs> still was. Any better. She was so, still imprisoning women. Your discussion of the killing of the babies and the very first scene or early scene where Willow, I'm sorry, where um, Laura Dannon is put into the basket and mm-hmm. goes down the scene made me think of the whole. Um, biblical story of Moses. Moses, mm-hmm. yeah. And, I, and I, I don't know if that was drawn as any inspiration, but it sure seemed like it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. Like, well, I saw the movie when I was six, and I, and I have a memory of asking my mother, "Is is is she like Moses?" I I, <laughs> I, I very much remember that. Yeah. 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 That's that whole meme. Like, I'm gonna tell my kids this, this, this. I'm gonna tell my kids the Laura Dannon was Moses. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, all right, let's jump into some more uh, behind the scenes here. I have the next one here. Uh, after meeting on the set of the film, Val Kilmer and Joanne Wally were married, but also later divorced. But they, yeah, they, they were married. They ended up doing like a couple of films together after that. Yeah. But it didn't last long. Yep. Um, which is a shame. They're both very talented and at the time, very beautiful people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Warwick Davis wore a wig for the movie. The long hair is not his own, which <laughs> is pretty It's pretty obvious. <laughs> Is it? I didn't think it was obvious, but oh, again, that, that, I'm not an was, expert on hair, so. Yeah, it was, it, it looked a little, a little wiggish. It looked a little wiggish. All right. All right. Uh, Brian, you have the next one. Yeah. So this was the first feature film to use the morphing process developed by Industrial Light and Magic. Nice. It's pretty cool. Uh, and it looked really good. When yeah. Finn Rizal was morphing into different uh, animals that was pretty good yep certainly better than ergo the magnificent and crawl <laughs> <laughs> which was anyway. yeah which is well, about six years prior to this mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so it just, it just shows you crawl how the paved the way that's right there we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right next fact i guess so uh warwick davis's future father-in-law and wife appear as nelwins and i'm assuming kaya he, he didn't actually marry kaya not kaya no kaya yeah. is not her it's not I, her, yeah I, I do want to say though, I was very. I, I rewatched this getting ready for this podcast, uh, of course. But uh, uh, Kaya is a really good actor. Like Fantastic. seriously, like like really good. I, all the little people who were in that movie. I, I, it was it was remarkable. Just I mean, it was so awesome of 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 the filmmakers to yeah. to actually to, to have and cast that many little people and let them let them showcase. It was yeah. it was wonderful. Yeah. yeah, no, totally agree with you. According to the press kits and the subsequent novels, the two headed dragon was named Ebersisk. A reference to the movie critics Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. <laughs> the word does not occur in the film, but made it into some reviews. Nice. Nice. The six-month-old twins playing Laura Dannon were too young to have a full head of hair. Uh, they wear a wig, which was applied using syrup, as normal wig adhesive would be too harsh for their baby skin. I was really surprised that they went that route, that they put hair on the child, because it seemed like it made it look like a Laura Dannon had aged like months almost a year but but i mean was i guess we don't know how long that uh midwife was traveling so maybe that was just a passage of time to show sure can i bring something up now that we're talking about we don't know how long the midwife was traveling how big is the mythical world of 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 willow because they they seem to be able to ride across it to all the various four corners pretty quick i I don't know i it so They rode across it really quick, but it took them forever to find this midwife. <laughs> like, like it took the queen in the time it took this midwife to take the baby, bow to everybody she passed, yep. and then make her way out of the castle. Bavmorda still hadn't made it to the cell to get to get to the, uh, the mother and be fooled the first of two times yeah, with the, yeah. the baby not actually in the blanket trick. Yeah. Yeah, she's actually kind of dumb for an evil queen. She fell for that twice. <laughs> hey, she's under a lot of stress, man. <laughs> My bad. Uh, all right, here's another question. Do we have uh, a favorite scene, Tony? Favorite scene? Or scenes? You know, I, uh, I, 
I like the scene at the crossroads because, mm-hmm. like, you know, it, uh, I think from, from from a story perspective, it's just, a, you know, you get a lot of sort of natural exposition that happens there with, you know, they're at those crossroads for a long time with uh, um, with, with, with Willow and, and his friend, whose name I can't remember right now. And then we meet Mad Mardigan and then uh, Migosh. Migosh, yes. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of development there because Migosh ultimately leaves. And then um, also we get the scene between Mad Mardigan and Eric. And the, the 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 armies ride by, and so it's all in one sort of scene, or, or, mm-hmm. or you know, like one like one set piece for, for for the entire thing, and it all happens, you know, there just keeps going, and yeah. so we, a lot happens in a relatively short amount of time that really builds the like the bigger world, and so I, I yeah yeah that scene at the crossroads I think is good. Cool. How about you, Brian? Yeah, you mentioned um, Eric in there who who has a much a very minor role throughout but i did like the scene in um actually when they met up in the castle fighting and eric you know nods to mad martigan and and back you know they acknowledge each other Mm -hmm. there was something about that connection that i i enjoyed it i know that was a really really minor scene i mean there were a lot of other scenes that were phenomenal um i think the other scene that i would throw out um as most memorable, not necessarily my favorite, but sword fighting in the snowy mountains, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that action sequence seemed to go, you know, it, it, it involved you. It brought you in as a, as a viewer to yeah. the action going on. Mm-hmm. And then again, yeah. in the fantasy aspect, the way that it uh, climaxes where, you know, the, the hasty escape on a shield, you know, I'm not sure we'd seen that anywhere else, at least up till then. So that was, clever how they they had that scene yeah yeah the only thing that bothers me with that scene is the shield having sleds on the bottom of it when it goes <laughs> off the cliff and it, it's going above the camera hey no attention can, hey no you attention. can obviously see it and i'm like okay okay that i mean Does that someone had to have seen that in post. <laughs> Does that bother you more or Mad Mardigan's uh, uh, snow cylinder that, that, that he is rolling down the hill in? <laughs> no, that, that's fine. Oh God. That's <laughs> fine. Very I'm, Looney Tunes. I'm all for that. That's great. It's the sled strips on the shield. That that was too much. That did it for me right there. I just love that. How do you diffuse a movie about adults wanting to kill a baby? Oh, put a man in a snow cylinder and have him roll down a mountain. <laughs> That doesn't real happen in real life. If you start rolling, <laughs> and you'll build up a big snowball. Uh, all right, uh, Megan, what's your favorite scene? Oh boy, I, I have a lot of favorite parts, but really, okay. I love, I love the, I just love the scenes of the brownies oh, because yeah. they are just so oh. slap happy and Looney Tunish. I love watching them, and their dialogue is so funny. Yeah. They're so I, good. I also love the sword fighting in the snow because it's so swashbuckly and just ultimate like action scene. And mm-hmm. I, I love everything with the brownies in them because it just the the chem- the character chemistry is amazing. Yeah. In each of those scenes. Totally agree. Cool. And I will always forever scream that way. When I- <laughs> <laughs> I do that all the time now. Nice. <laughs> Joe, when you're drunk, yourself? you forget I'm in charge. <laughs> <laughs> Joe? I liked, uh, you, you guys have mentioned it a couple of times now, I really like the the moment on the snow top, uh, the, the snowy mountaintop, uh, not just because it is a great action set piece, but also the character work that's being done between Mad Mardigan and Sorsha, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that 
that we start that whole gag where he's like kind of under her spell, like under the, the love spell or whatever, mm-hmm. but then it oh, kind yeah. of develops, it develops into something else. So I like that. I like how it develops the characters. It solidifies also Mad Mardigan and Willow as being like that. Finally, Mad Mardigan is now part of this cause. Like yeah. he has, he has heeded the call to action as they would say in, in script writing courses. And, and it's really satisfying. Other than that, the, uh, the action sequence in Tiris Lean, I think is just mm. outstanding. Oh Yeah. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. definitely one of my favorites. But I think my favorite scene would be the final battle with uh, Finn Rizel mm-hmm. and just the uh, the whole team coming together. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and her throwing Sasha at the sword or at the you know the sword wall door thing, and Finn Rizel stopping her in time, and then Willow tricking, and that whole end scene is just uh, so well done. That makes um, sense with you, Kev. From what little I know of you, no, no, seriously, <laughs> what little I know of you and your love of Lord of the Rings, there yeah. was very much a uh, like Saruman versus Gandalf kind of feel to that oh, final yeah. battle. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 I actually, I like the scene in Willow more than the Sauron and, and Gandalf. I feel like they should have done more magic. They were just throwing each other around with a stick, mm-hmm. uh, which is cool. You know, and then you got that weird Gandalf spinning on his hair <laughs> type of thing. Breakdancing um, Gandalf. Yeah. But no, but yeah, but the, the scene between uh, Finn Rizal and uh, Ben Morda was just really, really well done. And So one of the scenes that I thought someone would mention, and it wasn't, was the the dragon itself. What was it? Ebor Sisk? In Tirasleen. That was really well done. Yeah, that's, that's the Tirasleen. That whole that's scene the, was, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're talking the whole, the oh, whole yeah. entire 20-minute yep. final. Okay. Yep. That's yeah. That was when really... Matt Mardigan gets his trademark like gold armor and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Well, Very. the cool thing I, I thought about the, I mean that 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 was, I mean, mixture first. So Willow turns the troll into it, it tears its own fur off mm-hmm. and then becomes this brain-looking thing yeah. that the dragon spouts out and then he kicks it into the sludge mm-hmm. and then somehow all of that like it, it starts to you know have a have a chemical reaction with the sludge. I remember as a kid being all like, oh, uh, it was some sort of weird, like, because it was a little tiny thing, and all of a yeah. sudden it grew into this gigantic dragon thing. Like, like I, I, it makes me want to read the book and see, like, like, how it is described in the book, if there is something else going on with that dragon. And yeah. Also, yeah and, and the cool thing, too, with the, the way that it, what, what is it, Mardigan, he, he, uh, he, he pins the, the mouth yes. of one of them yes. in the gut, so and then cool. explodes. Blows and then his head off. Like, yeah. 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 All very, very, I mean, really well conceived. Really, yeah. Like, all in all, just so much fun. Yeah. 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 Definitely. So as a, you know, self-proclaimed fantasy and dragon lover, I was actually disappointed by the design of the dragon because I was praying for uh, a dragon slayer, you know, the, the traditional dragon mm-hmm. that you see. So although they took all the creative license and they did employ and and build this fantastic new beast, I really was hoping it was more of that reptile, you know, Mm. the classic medieval style Mm. and kind of tie the whole fantasy together. Now, again, that may have brought it a little bit too close back to Lord of the Rings with, or the Hobbit with smog. So. Yeah. Yeah. I I like the design of the, of the two. I never saw it as a dragon. It was just some sort of beast type Mm -hmm. thing, a two headed beast. Uh, so yeah, I did. I did like this, and for the time, I think it was nicely done. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some more of our behind the scenes. And I think, I think I'm up first. I believe. I think you're first. Yeah. All right. So uh, in preparation for the movie, Warwick Davis had to learn a modified accent, how to take care of a baby, how to ride a horse, how to sword fight, and how to perform magic. And yeah, he was like 17. 18. I think when yeah. 18. So yeah. wow. incredible. Yeah. He was young. Yeah. yeah. That explains having to take care of a baby. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Ron Howard's wife and, and Warwick Davis's sister both appeared as extras atop the snowy mountaintop village. Very cool. Willow originally said goodbye to Laura Dannon when he hands her over to Mad Mardigan. But during editing, it was realized Willow wouldn't have known her name yet. And so it was redubbed Goodbye Little Wild. Huh. Interesting. The, so the character of the evil general Kale is said to have been named after film critic Pauline Kale. All right. Nice. <laughs> <Pretty> great. <laughs> no wonder the critics all panned this movie. <laughs> all these disgusting characters and creatures after them. So I, I don't, I mean, I don't know why critics would want to pan that movie, especially, I mean, was it Ron Howard's first movie? I'm not, or, no, because he did Cocoon before this. Okay, yeah. okay, so he did, he did Cocoon before before it. I thought that the performances that he got out of all the actors, like all the different kinds of actors, were, were just were just really phenomenal. I, mm-hmm. I, I was like, and he, I don't think he's he's done a fantasy movie really since everything is right or has solo. Been? I guess oh, kind of oh, okay. counts. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But you know, it just it, it seemed like a. a you know, like, a, I mean, I don't know. I, I really thought the direction was excellent in that movie. And I, I yeah. don't know. I don't, Looking at it now through 2021 eyes, I mean, if that movie were to come out now, I, I, I don't – critics should just like it. I mean, I guess – Oh, with any, today, yeah. I've had today's uh, special effects, you know, and it yeah. was a, the story was great. So yeah. I think it would do really well in today's Yeah, story. I got to tell you, I wasn't a fan of the uh, masked Rottweilers running around. I thought just having a dog running <laughs> that around would have been, been, been just terrifying <laughs> enough. Right, right. So yeah. I don't know. There's, But there's something about, like, one, vilifying actual animals that we see every day, uh, especially for a movie that you're making for yeah. kids. Uh, but but also in creating, trying to create that fantasy world. Like, yeah, you can go the easy route and do dogs, but why not do something that looks a little different, a little off yeah. uh, off kilter? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think the big problem with this movie is that it was before its time. Mm. I don't think audiences, I don't think uh, critics were kind of ready for something like this. So I think they saw this as just like confusing kid fare. Like, hey, this is a little terrifying for kids, but it's a kids movie, and I think mm. they. I think there's a lot of people that shrug this movie off that shouldn't have. One of them being my dad's buddy, who was like, so <laughs> yeah. it was so boring because it really isn't. Like, this is a movie that's rich with world building. It's rich with lore. It makes sense. There's mm. things that happen. There's a logical progression of what's going on with the characters and why they're going and doing the things that they're doing and what ultimately leads them to the end. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, if a movie isn't doing that, then that's a problem. But if it yeah. is, how are you panning it? Yeah. So, so, Joe, you bring up a good point of of calling Willow a kids movie. It absolutely endears itself to the kid in all of us. I think that's stuff that we like. And then I was trying to place this movie's release with in context to the world. So this was 1988, right? This was mm-hmm. like right before the wall fell, the Berlin wall yep. fell, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'm trying to think of what other fantasy movies were coming out at this time. I don't know that there were any, I mean, we had what, like all the top guns and the machismo and diehards and yeah. Barbarian you know, brothers. But this was right <laughs> before Tim Burton's Batman comes out, mm, yeah. which also people would say it's Batman. It's a movie for kids. I don't agree with that. Right. But yeah. th- it's all these weird IP that people didn't know where to place. So they just kind of assumed, well, it's for kids. It's about, you know, a little person, a little magical person who's trying to bring a baby back, you know, protect a baby from evil. Yeah. And that's I think that speaks to the ignorance that was going on in 
in Hollywood critique, in, in film critique at the time. I, I think it also ties back to what you said earlier, Joe, though, is that this movie was extremely marketed. Because mm -hmm. I remember there was a whole, Kenny, you might even have them. I haven't seen it. I've seen you show them yet, but the Willow action yes. figures. Yeah. I have those. Yep. Yeah. So, so <laughs> of it course was. You do. I mean, obviously marketed as a, as a kid's movie. And I wonder if that may have actually hindered its acceptance to the wider Good audience. Uh huh. Absolutely. That's possible. That's possible. Joe, do you have another sure. fact here? So, this is terrifying. A 13 pound animatronic baby capable of moving its head and opening its that is so scary just to think about <laughs> and opening its mouth was used for the action scenes. This baby weighed more than the actual baby, of course, uh, and a more flexible prop baby was used in scenes where Willow falls with it. Thank God they used a prop for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'm sorry, but I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where he's on Mars. Total Recall. Total Recall. Total, Total recall. recall. Thank you. What was the name of the animatronic baby? Did they reuse that? Aquato. <laughs> was it reused? Is that what Hollywood did at that time? Aquato. This comes before Total Recall. Oh, okay. So they reused the baby. Imagine him talking at the camera uh, a lot. Uh, yes. Yeah. Your mom. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, um, and actually, I think that led to all the horror horror genre of the babies and stuff, right? Basket case. <laughs> Good so, um, yeah, so during the close-up shots of the scene where Mad Mardigan and the soldier are being dragged behind the wagon, Val Kilmer was kneeling on a pedestal behind the wagon while his stunt elbow was dragged behind, letting the stuntman's legs take the oh, beating. Oh, that's nice. That reminds me of, of, of a moment from, from the movie. And it was just, it's a very, very small moment. But when, when uh, uh, Mad Mardigan and Willow are being, are being dragged, just Mad Mar you, you realize Mad Mardigan's not, not an a-hole because he picks up Willow and puts them on his shoulder. This yeah. one very small thing that might, I mean, yeah. sounds like it was an improv too. Cause if, if, if Al Kilmer was improv his lines, yeah. they might just do that. But it was, it just, it was like, Oh, you know, you can, this is not a bad person. I, yeah. I thought that was a really cool moment, which mm -hmm. I don't mind. Yeah, anyway. totally agree. All right. John Cusack tested for the role of Mad Marty again, but lost to Val Kilmer. He considers this the biggest disappointment. Oh. So could you imagine John Cusack no. in- Trying not to. <laughs> Mad Lane of Myers, <laughs> like a very acerbic Mad Mardigan. Yeah. I just don't know how to, how do, to stomach yeah. that. Yeah, it's so weird because I mean I hear this all the time with other big roles that you find out other actors tried out for, and you're like, I just can't imagine that person playing that role mm -mm. ever. But then again, if that's if they were in that role, then would we have liked the character as much? Right. Would it have been as I cool? I don't know. I, I just, I have a heart. I love John Cusack and I love when John Cusack does what John Cusack does best. Mm. And I feel like being action star, Mad Mardigan mm. is not John Cusack. With long hair best. and yeah. Yes. I completely agree with that. It's like, I just imagine breaking to the camera, just yes. mid run and just start talking at me. And I'm just like, no. But from John Cusack's point of view, I could totally see him as dying to get this role mm -hmm. to break out of what he's been, mm. you know, I'd say pigeonholed into, you know, everyone knows him from those roles and we all love him, but yeah, I can't yeah. see him as Mad Mardigan. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Sorsha 
Maybe. <laughs> Mad Mark, yeah. He would be a good Sorsha. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny, though, because you see him play a role like in, in Gross Point Blank. Mm-hmm. And there's there's some action yeah. involved in that. But still, like, he has to do what John Cusack does. And that's the neurotic aspect of his character. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I just can't see him bringing that to this swashbuckling hero. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the original wand was a real piece of wood. <laughs> which if any of you i know some of you have worked in film like that's dangerous yeah uh an original the original one was a, an actual piece of wood eventually they feared it could break and uh probably splinter and get into somebody's <laughs> eyes they ended up replacing it with several fiberglass props nice i do like the wand it is cool mm-hmm. yeah it's cool all right brian you got the next one so oh yeah so kenny baker of r2d2 fame played a nelwyn musician as did his longtime comedy partner, Jack Purvis. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to go back and watch again. I don't know if I've ever noticed Kenny Baker in I hadn't either. the band. Huh. All right, Tony, you got one more. Rick Overton and Kevin Pollock's scenes were done against blue screens and sound stages and added into the scenes with full-size characters and post-production editing. That yeah. was, so overall, this is what I got to say, that the weakest part of the film was the, was the, the green screen work because it was the first time they yeah. ever used it. And it was always very, um, it, it, it looks the most dated. So it's funny, the cinematography on Willow looks phenomenal. Like like there's just these beautiful colors and looks so clear. It looks like it, it honestly, it looks like it could have been shot today, quite frankly, mm-hmm. like just, just with the way that it looks. The only thing that takes me out of it was that, like looking at it through modern eyes, was that use of, of, of green screen, you know, like even with the dragon coming up behind Val Kilmer uh, and obviously like with the brownies. But that being said, it was 1987 when they were employing those effects. So yeah. all in all, I, I, I think it is it is excellent, um, the, the fact that it advanced that technology that way. But of all the things in the film, that is what dates it the most, I would say. I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I don't remember noticing it as much back in the day. Yeah. But we didn't have anything to compare it to. So it was unbelievable mm-hmm. that they had these little people in the same scenes. And it looked pretty good, you know, the... Mm-hmm. Things were happening at the same time when they were moving, and it was all yeah. very well blended. But watching it now, you obviously can see, and you know mm-hmm. it's it's a green screen. Well, and then also comparing it to other green screen work, you know, um, like, for instance, in the film Krull, which we also discussed on a different episode of this podcast. But, yeah. like, watching that green screen work versus Willow's green screen work, you can, you can see, uh, a, I mean, for its time, it really was a remarkable use of the green screen. It's just that now... I, now we live in the YouTube age where everyone has a green screen behind their webcam, you know, and they, <laughs> and it looks more realistic now. So, yeah. but that being said, it's, you know, I, it was wonderful that they did it because they needed to and, yeah. and they used a great effect in 1987, 88. So, yeah, yeah, totally agree with you. Uh, Warwick Davis, as we mentioned, he was only 18 years old during the shooting of Willow. So he was just, he was barely an adult. Yeah. Wow. So along those lines of him being 18 and this movie being written for him, think of the, you know, the impression he had to give to George Lucas to want to write a movie. At 14. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny that that was the striking thing. Just no, because I knew how young he was as I did my rewatch and he looks so young. Like, I mean, yeah. he, you know, he's, he's a little person, but he, he, he looks like he's a teenager and it's, it's, you know, and I not, did not clock that at all when I was six or even, you no. know, nine, 10, 11, when I was watching the movie, you know, like however yep. many times I rented it, you know, and now I just look back on it now through, through 40 year old eyes and I'm like, oh my goodness, he was, yeah. he was so young. You <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> yeah. Totally agree. Next fact, I guess. Okay. So, yeah. uh, 
David Steinberg, the actor playing Migosh, slammed into the side of an ice rink while ice skating during production and cut his eyebrow open. The stitches were concealed with makeup for the scene where Migosh makes his departure for home. Oh, that's, that's I'll take a look at that again and see if I yeah. can see the makeup. So we had a foot stabbed with a sword. We had <laughs> a lot of a crow's nest. We have someone get stitches. This sounds like the most dangerous film ever made. Well, this at least took place outside of filming. Yeah, yeah. just on his that's own true. time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talking about you guys were mentioning earlier, uh, Warwick Davis's age discrepancies with the other actors that he worked with. He was only 12 years older than Don Downing, who plays his daughter, and only 10 years older than Mark Vandy Brake, who plays his son. Wow. Yeah, he was, he was wow. a baby. And the thing is, he still looks really good oh, yeah. for his age. Still looks very youthful. Yeah. Weren't his kids adorable, though? Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah. my God. His both his daughter and oh my god, they're some of my favorite scenes are with them mm-hmm. talking to their dad, their mom, and the whole couple, the whole mm-hmm. family. So good. That entire thing is so good. Yeah, and there's well, so much sincerity with those yes. actors. Yeah. Well, you know, and the the, the thing that was most striking uh, was the the the, the village um, the village party scene mm-hmm. when the daughter is is crying because she's yes. like she, she's vulnerable to the to the dog beast. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God, that girl. Is, I mean, that I mean, she would definitely I mean, I don't know what they told her. But I don't they, know. Yes. That's what I want to know. I'm like, why is she? She's like, is that acting? Yeah. It was, it was so real. I was like, oh, gosh. You know, yes. he portrayed terror fantastically. <laughs> yeah. 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 So very. very I've, I've only screamed like that a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although Val Kilmer has first billing. It's Warwick Davis who plays the title role and has the most screen time. Yeah, what do you guys think about that? It's upsetting I think it makes to me. Sense. I, I, yes, I, Val Kilmer was the name. I get he it. He was the name. Yeah, he was the name. But the movie's called Willow, and Warwick Davis has the most screen time. And Warwick Davis isn't unknown. He was a, a popular character in the Star Wars movies. I, I kind of have an unpopular opinion. I think about the title of this film. I'm not sure it should have been called Willow. Mm. Uh, I get that it's he goes on this adventure, but it, it's kind of all about Alora Dannon, like the prophecy of Alora Dannon ending the reign of Bav Morda. And I understand that Willow is kind of the uh, the emissary, like he is the one that's going to deliver basically her to safety or whatever. But uh, I. I don't know. Like, I think business-wise, you, of course, give Val Kilmer top billing because he's your big star. You see Warwick Davis, especially in 1988, you see Warwick Davis's name on a poster. You're trying to sell tickets to this movie. No one knows who that is at that time. So it sucks. I think now, especially now when you can, like, kind of repackage everything, I think you give them equal billing on something like this. But Mm -hmm. at the time, it makes sense. I think it was total marketing. Joe, I think you're right. Remember how you said uh, your dad's friend had no... No good things to say about it, but I think when you bill Val Kilmer and give him the first first bill or first billet, um, mm-hmm. and then you don't see him until like a half hour into the right, but, but you're, <laughs> you're drawing on Top Gun that came out what two years prior? I mean, maybe a year. I think yeah, year. I mean, yeah. just prior to this, and so they the marketing. I guarantee that's what they were trying to do is take take a little bit of the edge off of the kid. You know, if this is a kid's movie to, hey, look, we've got big names in here. I personally think that, you know, Warwick Davis should have had top billing. Yeah. No, I, I understand why they did it. I mean, it does make sense from a marketing point. And the, I mean, movies are meant to make money. So that's the whole point of making them is to make money. So I, I get it. I just, 
it still bothers me. And I think in like subsequent, like Joe, I think subsequent stuff, they do bill both of them in like current, like the Blu-ray that came out of Willow. And I think they're mm. both being touted as the top billing more than just Val Kilmer. Tangentially related. Do you guys ever watch the TV show Life's Too Short with Warwick Davis? Yes. There's a, uh, so you you know about this, Kenny. There's a, a bit, so Warwick Davis kind of plays himself, but the character of himself, he, he's like a talent agent and he still like kind of hangs out with some of the old people that he used to work with. And there's this great sequence where he's hanging out with Val Kilmer. He goes and gets lunch with Val Kilmer and he like, he's like, oh man, uh, I'm going to take you back to my office. And he's like, hey, real quick, I've got this bit. It totally kills. And Val Kilmer puts on like this Batman mask and they play like a guess who it is. Guess who's behind the mask with his uh, receptionist. And she can't guess who it is. <laughs> she's like, he, played, he played one of the Batman. And she's like, is it Michael Keaton? He's like, no, it's not Michael Keaton. Who else has played Batman? She's like, Adam West? No. It's not Adam West. Who else do you know that's played Batman? She's like, the cartoon Batman? And like everybody but Val Kilmer, and then oh. he finally takes off his mask and smiles, and she still doesn't know. Oh. Wow! After the scene is, there's a poster, a Willow poster, in the background with a huge Val Kilmer face. <laughs> I think That's that says awesome. a lot about Val Kilmer because there have been stories. In fact, uh, I did some extra work on the movie Tombstone and heard nothing but horror stories about working with Val Kilmer. Oh wow! But I think that. The fact that he's able to kind of make fun of himself in that respect in a different project, I think that kind of speaks volumes about the kind of guy he is versus maybe the kind of artist he used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all that to say, it's really refreshing to see that he and Warwick Davis still kind of have a relationship so yeah. many years after this film. Yeah, totally, mm-hmm. totally agree. So, so talking about people and and their character versus the roles. So at, uh, I, you know, huge Disney world fan in addition. So my geekdom spans a lot of things, but I went down to the, um, I don't remember what it's called a candlelight celebration at Epcot Mm -hmm. and Warwick Davis did the reading. And it's amazing how many people were there just for him. He was fantastic. I mean, just just a phenomenal, you know, continues to be a professional, you know, and he started when he was 14, you know, yeah. I mean, this guy's, he's got it. Yeah. Yeah. I got his book, his autobiography and he autographed it for me. And um, cool. So it's really, yeah, it's really good. He's just a, such an interesting person and human being. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad he's getting the success that he's, he's gotten. All right. So we have a few more uh, behind the scenes and then I have one more question before I let you guys go. So let's go ahead here. I think I have the next one. Yes. Uh, on the official movie poster, the wind is blowing simultaneously both left and right as evidenced by the character's hair. I have to look at that. I wrote that. When I read that, I was like, oh, I have to go back and look because I didn't recognize it at first. And I see Joe typing, so he's probably yes, looking Yes, I'm, it right I'm looking now. it up too. <laughs> uh, all right. So in order to obtain a PG certificate by the BPFC in the UK, 34 seconds were edited for the theatrical version. The footage included the hounds attacking the midwife early in the film, the more graphic moments in the scene where a troll morphs into a two-headed dragon, scenes of bloody fighting, and scenes of Bavmorda turning people into pigs. Uh, the distributors also reduced the redness of the blood on Rizel's face during her battle with Queen Bavmorda and toned down certain sound effects. Subsequent video releases were passed uncut with a PG, but as the BPFC believed, the content in question would have less of an impact at home than in the cinema. You know, 
I can see why they did that because I mean some of the things, especially for me, the the thing that sticks out is is how gross the the the, the skin being torn off the troll was. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, I can see why they might want to do that. Um, but I mean, now we live in a in a post Game of Thrones world, so you <laughs> yeah. know it, it, everything seems tame by comparison to that yeah. now. But 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 it was definitely very. I mean, it's not like Tarantino levels of violence, but it was pretty graphic and violent for what it was. Well, especially since it's being touted as a kid's, a kid's movie. movie. Right. You know, those definitely aren't kid scenes. Right. So right. I can see them. Yeah. And kind of you said at the beginning, this was a PG movie. It wasn't PG-13 yes. here right. in the States, right? Yes, it was PG. Yep. I now um, need to see a Tarantino remake of Willow. <laughs> <laughs> was there a sign outside my house that Dead Nelwyn story? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, oh, boy. Okay. A, uh, a deleted scene took place after Willow met Finn Raziel uh, when she was a muskrat on the island. Uh, they left back on the boat where a massive storm took place courtesy of Bav Morda's magic. Eventually, Willow is pulled underwater and attacked by a fish shark creature. A piece of the scene is shown in the Making of Willow documentary available on the DVD. Willow's hair is also noticeably wet when back on the island, which I never thought anything of when yeah, watching me neither. the movie. Me neither until I read this. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess uh, that does make sense. This harkens back to the Goonies octopus scene. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which I, it- I wonder what the rationale or the reason was for pulling that. That it's scene just, out. Well, more than likely, the Goonies, I heard, they just looked too fake. So they yeah. pulled it. Uh, okay. And this one, if they had some sort of shark beast thing, they probably just didn't do the prosthetics or it just didn't come together. And so they just cut it. So then maybe they repurposed Bruce from Jaws, just like they repurposed the <laughs> yeah. Waddle, yes, right? That's it. Yes. And probably it, because this movie runs over two hours already, mm-hmm. they probably yes. felt like this is unnecessary. Like, yeah. let's just keep the story moving. But it, it would have been nice add- to see Bavorda's influence yes we have far reaching you know she can mm-hmm. influence a creature under the water yeah. and attack these people while they're yeah. so far away from it'd be interesting to find I, I gotta find the dvd so i can check out that documentary i think that'd it's be good it's a good yeah it's a good documentary yeah all right brian last one yeah so the uk version edits the second sword thrust into general kale when mad martigan steps on the sword and drives it through him their version only shows mad martigan step on the sword then cuts to kale falling uh, a scene during the battle between Bavmorda and Finn Rizil was deleted, which actually showed where the scratches on Finn's face came from. Also during the fight at the castle towards the end, Willow zaps the troll with his wand and two creatures emerge from its skin. In the UK version of this film, the bit where the creature quickly rips off the skin of the troll is missing. Mm. Yeah, so like Tony mentioned. Yep, so it yep, ties back to how the edit... Yeah, to pass the, the rating, they had to cut these scenes out. All right, guys, my last question. As I'm assuming you guys are aware, they are making a Willow TV series for Disney+, Plus, which I was over the moon, because there's been talk of making a sequel, making a sequel for years and years and years. Ron Howard's been interested. Lucas has been interested. Obviously, uh, Warwick Davis is interested. But it's been a finally officially announced, uh, and they're actually writing it. I think they're filming it now. It's coming out next year, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I think it's 2022. Uh, but they're making a Willow TV series. So my question to you guys, obviously, I don't have to ask if you're excited for it, because obviously you are, because you are nerds like me. <laughs> We're talking about Willow, how much we love it here. Uh, what do you hope to see? Do you, do you, like, Joe, you've read the books or some mm-hmm. of the books. So would you like to see that storyline played out on screen, or would you... Because obviously it is set 30 years and 
Warwick Davis is a main character, so they are bringing mm-hmm. back Willow for it. That's yeah. all I know about it. I don't think there's – and I'm trying to avoid spoilers, much information. So I'm excited about this news while at the same time also a little somber because mm-hmm. I enjoy – even though he's not my favorite character, I enjoy the journey Mad Mardigan goes on. Mm-hmm. And I think he is so important to the lore of of Willow and mm-hmm. the fact that the condition that Val Kilmer's in now – yeah, he won't that. be able to be a part of this thing. Like, there's yeah. just no way that he could be a part of this this project, and that makes me really sad. I, I, I'm still gonna watch it. I'll probably really enjoy it, but I I have a hard time seeing anything but like he won't be able to play Mad Mardigan. He won't be able to come back as this character 30 years later. Yeah, which would be cool. Mm-hmm. But so, what are you hoping for? I'm hoping for I'm hoping for something that kind of that they play on a little bit in sh- at least in Shadow Moon and the half of Shadow Dawn that I read where, you know, it's always the devil we don't know, right? Like, Laura Dannon was supposed to come and, like, end the reign of Bav Morda, mm-hmm. but, like, what complications arise when, you know, you, you have to kind of start over, start from scratch, and, you know, kind of the, the cynicism you have to play with when these people have to come to terms with, like, here's a child who's got, like, is being looked at like you're supposed to rule us, you're supposed to lead us now. Like, no, I was just supposed to end the reign of Bad mm. Morda. Uh, and and it's kind of funny because she herself never did it. It was everybody that she had brought together to kind of fight for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what exactly is the prophecy that concerns her? Like, where yeah. where does she actually become a, a force on her own? To, to affect change. So I hope that they, they kind of do a little bit more of that because even in the books, at least what I read in the book, they didn't touch on that as much. It was just about her trying to like, I'm now the, the, the queen. And you know, it's, it's kind of the story of Willow being my protector and okay, cool. But there's a lot deeper story that you could be telling here. Mm, cool. How about you, Megan? Honestly, I'm, I'm open to it. I think that there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of room they could take this. Yeah. And with the Disney Plus shows, they haven't sucked. Like they've yeah. really been throwing 110% at it. So if nothing else, this is just going to be fun. Yeah. And I'm excited yeah. for that. I really have like, I have no skin in the game where I'm going to get mad. So I'm just like, I'm right there with you. Okay with yeah. That. The fact that, that they have Warwick Davis and he's the main character as he's part of it, that I, I don't care what they do. I'm just, I want to go back to that world. Yeah. So however yeah. they present it to us, I will be. Uh, consuming it i'll be there you know not maybe yeah. not at midnight when it's released but i will be there at 6 a.m the next morning to watch there you it. Go. So, <laughs> <laughs> brian do you have any thoughts i'm gonna echo what you said kenny i'm i'm uh so first of all there's a lot of parallels you know george lucas star wars and george lucas willow there's a lot of parallels in the two stories and mm-hmm. the one parallel i hope not to see is that a lot of the stories that were written about Star Wars after Return of the Jedi were were erased from canon and became legends. So if there's three books out there, like Joe was talking about, that have a good storyline, I'd like that to be explored. Mm. I haven't read them. And now that I know that there's the series coming out, I'm not going to read them because <laughs> I don't want to get hopes up and have them dashed by not seeing what my expectations are. But like you said, Kenny, Willow takes place in such a fantastic world Mm -hmm. that I'm actually eager to see what they do with it. So, um, and and back to Megan's point, I am 
cannot think of a Disney Plus show that I haven't enjoyed yet. So I, yeah. you know, they Disney knows how to tell stories. So I think that they will probably do some pretty good justice to this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. How about you, Tony? Yeah, I, I, I I'm excited for it. I, I want to echo what everyone else said. If they take the same amount of care into making Willow as they've taken into making The Mandalorian and uh, you know the other Disney shows, I I think it 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 is preordained to be pretty successful you know mm-hmm. the the same level of production value the same way they've you know implemented like new cinema technology and yeah. you know, if they do all those things and use it as as a way to tell a really cool story while also using all these new tools i i don't see why it, it can't be this wonderful thing and really on brand for disney too because if they keep it the way that willow was intended as as sort of like a you know an, an older child's story mm-hmm. um i i think there, there, there is so much potential there, and uh, I was not aware that they that they wrote books, um, and I was not aware actually of all the the pre existing sort of canon that we talked about on on this show mm-hmm. about the movie that we talked about on the show today. Yeah. Um, and just watching the film yesterday, there was so much there that I wanted to know about. You know, mm-hmm. like I did. I wanted to learn that, like, like why is Bev Morda evil? Like, wh- yes, I would love an origin father? story for her. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, where, like, 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 what is it? Like, like who was Finn Rizal before? Or, you know, the, at least echoing those themes and seeing a, a lot of that fleshed out. And, you know, I, I also think that the, um, you know, the, the people are, are are primed to to want this sort of content now too. You know, mm-hmm. because uh, and it, it ultimately it, it will add another what you know eight to twelve weeks of really awesome, hopefully you know half an hour to an hour long of viewing yeah. that we can you know plug into after the Mandalorian. You know, after yep. Ahsoka, after whatever. You know, like like we'll also it'll be year round of really great stuff. So yeah. I'm really excited for it, and 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 I I, I don't think they're going to screw it up because they they haven't screwed up anything on Disney Plus. Uh, you know, yet. Yeah, yeah, very cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you guys again so much for joining me. I always enjoy talking with you, especially nerdy, geeky things. And Willow is, like I said, one of my favorite fantasies of all time. So uh, I really appreciate it. And I love learning. I, I I learn things today, you know, from you guys. So that's that's why I enjoy talking with you guys. So thank you again. Before we go, I want to make sure we promote anything for you guys. So let's start with Brian. All right. Um, so coming up Christmas, I've got uh, my Christmas book, uh, One Day Off. I released it uh, last Christmas, uh, just in time for Christmas. But now I got a Amazon store, Amazon site up there. It's about uh, Santa. Uh, his reindeer want to take the day off. So they've got to recruit other animals to pull Santa around the globe. Uh, it's basically a madcap adventure. Uh, the reindeer getting help. Santa having a heck of a ride on Christmas. And well, you'll have to see what happens with the reindeer. And I like it. I uh, he sent me a copy of it, and it's it's fantastic. So definitely, I'll have the link on my show notes. So if you want to find it, yeah, uh, you can either look it up on Amazon or just go to my show notes, and you can click on the link there, and it'll take you to it. So thanks, Brian. Thank you, Kenny. Uh, Joe, uh, you can follow me on social media at Next Wave Joe. Uh, I do voice work on all kinds of anime. Uh, lately, been voicing a bunch of like beast men and pirates on one piece uh i've been working on some other shows that are uh coming out soon can't really talk about them yet uh <laughs> but uh but yeah i do that i'll also i co-host 
quite regularly on another podcast called the 16-Bit Gladiators, where we talk about video games and stuff. Very cool. Tony? I don't have any more podcasts to promote at this time. However, you can just follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Anthony Nagatani. That's at A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-N-A-G-A-T-A-N-I. Also, I have a fledgling YouTube channel I'm trying to get off the ground once I have more free time. It's uh, The channel is called Sine Cosine Tangent. That's uh, C-O-S-I-G-N. Uh, so it's a little play on the words. It's there, fun. Sine, it's, it's a fun cosine. podcast. I've been on several episodes. And- yeah. So. It's definitely nerdy. It's just like this, but we talk about <laughs> current stuff that's happening uh, in live streamy format and stuff yeah. like that. So, uh, try, I'm going to try to do some edited content eventually, but uh, as of right now, just just some live streaming stuff. So, yeah. But Kenny, thank you for putting this together. This is always fun. Cool. Thank you. And Megan. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Sketchit Snips, where I post all of my illustrations, some of my in process work, and yeah, just find lots of kooky, creepy stuff on my page. It's it's great, yeah. So, all right, guys, thank you again. I really appreciate it, and we will talk with you very soon. I'm sure. Excellent. Well, thanks, Kenny. Thanks. All right. Hope you enjoyed that roundtable. As I said, we had so much fun discussing Willow. Uh, you can obviously tell that we all loved it, and. Uh, even even today, it still holds up. At least in my in my mind, it still holds up, and I watch it annually. And I am really looking forward to the TV series that's coming out on Disney Plus. So uh, I'm sure I'll do a podcast on that when the first season is dropped as well. So once again, I want to thank my amazing co-host Joe, Brian, Megan, and Tony. And of course, I want to thank my fantastic listeners for coming back each month and joining us for each geeky roundtable so until next time guys take care i want to take a moment and thank my supporters on patreon i really do appreciate your monthly donations it helps counter some of the costs that come with producing podcasts each month so i really do appreciate your support if you guys want to help me out and be a monthly donator or just give a contribution one time for one month you can find me on patreon just look up geeky fanboy productions and i would really appreciate it thanks again guys that was a scene in California's Mojave Desert five years ago. Our historic first view of the newcomer's ship. Theirs was a slave ship carrying a quarter million beings bred to adapt and labor in any environment. But they've washed ashore on Earth with no way to get back to where they came from. And in the last five years, the newcomers have become the latest addition to the population of Los Angeles. Alienation, the Newcomers Podcast, is a fan cast devoted to the groundbreaking but short-lived TV series Alienation. This series tackles social issues like racism, bigotry, and intolerance with an alien twist. Each month, we will bring you a podcast dedicated to a single episode. The host will give you their thoughts on the episode, as well as some little-known behind-the-scenes information. So please subscribe to Alienation, the Newcomers Podcast on iTunes, or visit our website at alienationpodcast.com. Attention, attention. Are you a fan of MASH, one of the most groundbreaking television series in history? Then take a listen to the MASH 4077 podcast, where hosts discuss their thoughts episode by episode. They will also share with you some little-known behind-the-scenes information, trivia, and so much more. So come and find them on iTunes by searching MASH 4077 podcast or online at www.mash4077podcast.com. The Geek Roundtable Podcast is a geeky fanboy production and has a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, works 3.0, United States license, all rights reserved.